There was a day when everything was dark. Nothing could be done. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Stop working, you never stop, you never stop working, even 
sing this chorus together. Just lift your voices to the risen Christ. Lift this up.
You guys can take a seat just for a second. I came to the tomb this morning bearing spices, but I also carried with me memories, memories of Golgotha. Golgotha, the place where all ugliness and brutality that ever existed in the human heart burst forth. Respect, reason, justice, truth, love all hung suspended on the center cross that day. I wept until I could weep no more. Jesus, the kindest man who ever lived. Jesus, the one who rescued me from the demons who tormented me. Jesus, my Lord and Master had been falsely charged. He'd been smeared and jeered, stripped and whipped. And then he was nailed to a cross that was jolted into place. How could the one who had given life to so many be dying on a cross as if he were a common criminal? And how could the crowds be cheering about it? Father, forgive them. Jesus spoke forgiveness in the midst of mayhem. I looked at him in amazement. Surely now the authorities would realize they'd made a mistake. But no, the horror continued. I implored God to tear open the heavens and rain down judgment or to miraculously lift Christ from the cross. Instead, darkness devoured the sun. It was a deep darkness, an eerie darkness, a midday darkness, a supernatural darkness, a darkness as if all light had been siphoned out of the universe. The catcalls stopped. The crowd began to slink away. I stayed mesmerized by the magnitude of what was happening. Surely I was about to witness a cataclysmic miracle. Minutes dragged into hours, punctuated only by the agonizing breaths of dying men impaled on crosses. When I thought that I would suffocate from grief, I heard an anguished voice from the center cross cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I closed my eyes and I beat my hands on my chest. 
Oh God, how could you abandon your son in the moment of his greatest need? Then I heard a deep gasp as I looked at the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus took one final breath. His head slumped. The earth shook. Rocks and tombs split open. The Roman officers and soldiers were terrified. Truly, they exclaimed, this was the Son of God. Yes, I shuddered. Truly, this was the Son of God. But then why was this happening? One of the soldiers took a spear and thrust it into Jesus' side to be sure that he was dead. Blood and water gushed out. The soldiers pulled his body from the cross. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus gained permission to take Jesus' body. They wrapped it in clean white linen. I followed them as they carried his body to this empty, silent tomb. I stayed outside crying. I wept with the grief so deep, I thought my heart would shatter as they rolled a huge stone in front of the entrance. And then, as Sabbath shadows descended, I trudged home, confused and brokenhearted. This morning, before dawn, I returned to the tomb, determined to anoint Jesus' body. I knew I couldn't roll the huge stone away by myself. I knew I might be arrested or even killed. It didn't matter. Life without Jesus isn't worth living anyway. But when I arrived, I was surprised to find the stone had already been rolled away. The tomb was empty. Jesus was gone. I didn't understand. Oh God, I cried out, who would further defile my lovely Lord by stealing his stone-cold body? Distraught, I ran to find Peter and John. I told them that the tomb was empty, that someone had taken Jesus' body. I followed them as they came to check it out for themselves, so I stayed outside. They brushed past me on their way home to tell the others. Once they had gone, I peered once more into the tomb. And there, through my tears, I saw two angels dressed in white sitting in the place where Jesus' body had been. Why are you crying? Why was I crying? Wasn't it obvious? They have taken my Lord away and I don't know where to find him. Someone approached from behind and asked, Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, I exclaimed, Oh, sir, if you have taken Jesus, please tell me where you have put him so I may go and get him. Mary, he said, 
That's all, just Mary. But with that one word, life and hope returned. I knew that voice. Rabbi, Master, I cried as I fell at his feet. I tried to hug him, but he stopped me. Don't hold on to me, Mary. I must return to my father. Go and tell the others that I am ascending to my God and your God, to my father and your father. I didn't want to leave Jesus, but when he said go, I went running. Peter, John, Bartholomew, Andrew, Philip, listen, Jesus is alive. I saw him. That's why the tomb was empty. Jesus isn't there because he is alive. Why didn't we understand? Jesus had told us that he had to die but that he would rise again in three days. That's why the chief priests insisted on posting guard at the tomb. I sometimes wonder about those of us who call ourselves Jesus friends. We can be so slow to understand, so slow to recognize who it is who walks among us. We look at the cross or the empty tomb, and we see an upside-down world. It is. But wonder of all wonders, the cross is where God turns the world and everyone who trusts in his son right side up again. I leave the garden with all the spices that I brought this morning, as well as with new memories Memories I will never forget. But I leave with so much more. I leave with the risen Christ. And life will never be the same. Not now. Not for eternity. us.
about what he did for us on that cross. And he took death, sin, suffering all on himself because he loved us so much. He loves you so much today. Let's sing this out. Death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boasts of sin and dream. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no God, we just thank you so much for bringing us all here, for, for us to experience again the power of this day and what you've done for us. God, let our ears be open to what you have to say to us, and, and let us leave here today changed. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We began this morning under the veil of darkness, much the way that we have lived a lot of the last several months in our society and in our world, under the darkness and the mask of death. That's been the story of the last 12 months. It's been disguised by talking about COVID and talking about the pandemic Mask and assemblies, shutdowns, social distancing, vaccinations. But at the end of the day, it really is about death. It really is about staving off death for ourselves and for our loved ones. Every day it sits atop the headlines for the day. We know more than we did 12 months ago, but we're still learning. 
One thing that we have found over these past several months is that everybody really cares and everybody really thinks about death. What have we been willing or unwilling to do under the guise or the thought of death? Yet in reality, it is not even death that has gripped people's hearts. Rather, it's the fear of death. See, death is uncertain, and it's unfair. There's an inequity about it, an inconvenience about it. It's not like we can ever or seldom see it coming. Over this past year, probably most all of us, at one time or another, have stood over the grave of a loved one or watched a memorial service online somewhere because we couldn't go there. And we've seen images. We felt the sorrow, the loss, the hurt, the loneliness, the sting of death. Death and the fear of death have been our constant companion, and we are regularly reminded of its reality. On this resurrection morning, I want us to turn our attention this morning to two grave sites that Scripture tells us about. Two grave sites in which we witness two resurrections from the dead and see what it is that God wants to say to us this morning in these passages. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice this morning that all of us sitting here today have staved off death in this past year. It's a testimony to your grace and mercy in our lives. And yet, Father, we live in the reality of that. And as we turn our attention towards your word and we see those that were raised back to life, I pray that you would just stir in our hearts. Remind us what death really is in your perspective. And illuminate us to the hope that we can have because Christ rose from the dead. And I pray this in your name. Amen. The first passage I want to look at is the resurrection of Lazarus. You recall the story. He was a friend of Jesus. And his disciples came and told him that he was very, very sick. And yet Jesus tarried on for a couple of days where he was before he went to see Lazarus. And by that time, Lazarus had already died. In fact, he'd been in the tomb four days, Scripture tells us. And so Jesus comes in and greets the family, Mary and Martha, all those that had gathered to grieve there. And we see the sadness and the heartfelt loss of losing a friend. And yet John chapter 11, verses 38 and then 40 through 44, describe the scene at that gravesite. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, 
Come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in the strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. A resurrection. A man that had been dead and laid in a tomb. And yet at Jesus' command, the restoration of life begins. Breath begins to fill his lungs. Blood begins once again to flow through his body. His body systems begin to function and work again. The sickness that laid him in the tomb to begin with is gone. Movement. All the fullness of physical life. He's reunited with his family and his friends, and there's a joyful celebration. In our society, can you imagine a picture of of sitting in a funeral service and the casket opening up and the one that we're there to mourn comes back to life? That's what that sight would have been like that day. Jesus gives evidence that he is the Son of God, that he's powerful, that he's able to restore life, that he's able to bring life back to this dead body. But the reality of this story is that Lazarus will die again. This is a temporary resurrection. Lazarus isn't alive today. He's went the way of the rest of the world. And so this miraculous intervention of Jesus himself, proving that he was the Son of God, resulted in the man ultimately facing death again. It was a temporary resurrection. I've often wondered about what this would have been like for Lazarus. Here a man that had died, and we know that he was a a follower of God and and religious and and faithful to, to the law. What would that four days have been like? in paradise, in in the resting place of departed souls, other pictures that we get in Scripture, it was a, a place of rest and contentment. And all of a sudden, after he maybe was there talking to Abraham and Moses and David and some of the Old Testament saints, all of a sudden he hears the cry of Jesus, Lazarus, come forth! And out he comes. Has to leave that place of rest that he's enjoyed those last days. But nonetheless, his life on this earth was restored. But it was a temporary resurrection. The second resurrection we want to look at is the one that we're here today to celebrate. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24 gives us a description of those events. Again, in front of a tomb, in front of a gravesite. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took some spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the tomb rolled, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living? among the dead. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you he was, when he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified 
and then on the third day raised again. Then they remembered his words. A similar picture to the grave of Lazarus. Early on that Easter morning, Jesus' breath returns to his earthly body, his physical body. The blood begins to once again flow through his veins. His systems begin to function, his human body systems. There's movement. There's all the fullness of physical life. The scars that he endured on the cross remain. But he's alive. He's reunited with his disciples, his friends, family. This joyous celebration, this one that they thought was lost, is back again. What's different? What makes this resurrection more significant than that of Lazarus? It is not temporary. It is not temporary. Jesus today lives in all the fullness that he lived in the day that he walked out of that tomb. Death has not merely been postponed, but rather it has been defeated. That's why this day is so significant, because it's not a resurrection that postpones the inevitable death at some point in time, but rather it's a resurrection that is from then throughout eternity. Within this resurrection, we see two outcomes, two hopes, two things that we can count our lives and our eternities on. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. One of the hopes of the resurrection of Jesus is that of a restored life. A restored life in this life. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read two or three verses from there that talks about that. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, our reality today is that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we would not have the hope of eternity. Lazarus was going to die again, but the only hope of him being raised again was the physical presence of Jesus being there. Because when Jesus wasn't there the first time, he died. And so if Jesus had not been raised on that third day, then our only hope of a resurrected life would be if we stand in the presence of Jesus when, he's, when he was there. But Jesus gives us hope because he's not a dead Savior. And that makes him stand alone and apart from all the rest of the religions of the world. They talk of good men. They're, lead, they're led by good men, but they're all dead men. Jesus 
is a lie. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross and what he accomplished by coming back from the grave is that he defeated death. Death reminds us, whenever we experience death of a loved one, it reminds us that it's part of the fall. It reminds us that it came about when God pronounced the curses on Adam and Eve, and the last curse was, from dust you have come, and from dust you will return. That was not God's plan from the beginning. Within the Garden of Eden, we're told that there were two trees, and God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the other tree that was there was a tree of life, which would allow man and woman to live forever. And God made no prohibition about them eating from that tree. He intended for man and woman to enjoy eternal life. But sin takes that away. And death reminds us that we all have been born into that sin, and we all need a way back, a way to be restored to the holy creator God that made us. The last part of Genesis chapter 3 reminds us that Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. That's a picture of the fact that they were removed from the presence of God because of their sinfulness. Jesus' death provides the way that we can be reconciled once again to God. It's our opportunity, our hope, and our reality that's only available in this life. God, through the death of Jesus Christ, gives us the opportunity to be reconciled to Him. And that requires me to, first of all, acknowledge that I need a Savior, that I'm under God's wrath, that I'm a sinful person. I can't save myself. I can't live good enough to live up to God's standards. Acknowledge my need, and then I place my trust and faith in Christ, believing that He is my only hope of salvation. And the blood that he shed on that cross was for my sins, a covering for my sins and yours. Acknowledge my need, place my faith in him to be my savior and turn over the control of my life to him. And that's the means by which God restores our life. The second thing that we see that this day is significant of is it gives us hope for eternity, hope for eternal life. John chapter 11, verse 25, in the opening verses in the account of Lazarus' resurrection, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. In other words, if I place my faith and trust in, this, in Christ during this lifetime that he gives me on this earth, then that assures me that when I become like Lazarus and I'm laid in the grave, that that will not be the end. But rather it will be the beginning of an eternity spent back in the presence of God where God desired for us to all be in the first place. Jesus proved that he had complete power over death, a defeated foe. I can't emphasize enough how significant that is, that it was, it was awesome that he raised somebody else from the dead, but for him, by the power of God the Father, to himself be raised from the dead, that demonstrates a power beyond 
just the miraculous power of restoring Lazarus' life. If we put our faith and trust in him, there is no longer a reason to fear or to dread death. Because the departing of this life becomes an entrance into the restored life of eternity. God wants us to do things in our power to to take care of ourselves and and prolong our life on this earth, to make decisions that have to do with the quality of life and, and enjoy relationships and families and the joys of this world, but not to the extent that we forget that this is a momentary pause before eternity. And the decision that we make in this life based on putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ determines how we will spend the next life in eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. 15 chapter, or verse 14, excuse me. If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. If Jesus was a dead Savior, that hope would not be. But rather, thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture also describes what an eternity would look like outside of God's presence. Scripture tells us that it was never God's intention for men to spend an eternity there, in that place of judgment. That place was designed for Satan and his angels and his demons, not for mankind. But if we don't place our faith and trust in Jesus in this life, then that becomes our eternity. A place of judgment, a place of wrath, a place of the ab- in the absence of God. You know, the more I contemplate what that has to be like for a, a Christless eternity, you know, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, everywhere at the same time. And so as we live and move in this life, we're never really outside of the presence of the sovereign God. And so what might an eternity look like when all presence and influence of God is removed. That's not what God desired, nor that's not what God designed for us. And so on this resurrection morning, I pray and I ask you to make sure that your hope is placed in the resurrected Christ. One that who can restore life and restore that relationship with God in this life so that in the next life you can enjoy the presence of God in the eternity that God intended. If you have questions about how to do that, we would love to visit with you. There's phone numbers in the bulletin. You can get in contact with us on the website. Don't let the opportunity pass by to cry out to God, ask for his mercy, accept his death, and be restored in your relationship with Christ so that you have the hope of eternity. Because the reality of the Easter celebration is if we don't place our faith and trust in Christ, this doesn't have meaning. It doesn't have meaning. Because we won't get to spend that, our eternity with that resurrected Savior. Seek someone out, someone next to you, someone that you know trusts Christ and ask if they would help you turn your life over to him. Let's pray.
Father, words cannot describe how significant it is that you're alive today. The miracles that you displayed during your earthly ministry, even miracles of raising someone from the dead, multiple people, are awesome, but pale in comparison to the fact that you yourself was raised. And as we stand here today, we know that you live, that you defeated death once for all, and our eternity is secure with you when we place our faith and trust in you. Thank you, Father. May we live in the reality of that hope and the uncertainty of our times and, and a time in which death is, is a constant companion. May we rest secure in the fact that we don't have to fear that. The end of this life becomes the beginning of an eternity with you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. My prayer, as we, as we close with a couple of songs and get you guys out of here, my prayer is that, you, that we would leave this place remembering what Christ has done and we would rise up in our lives. That, we would, that every breath we take, we would remember that that breath is given to us by an amazing God who loves us. And that we would live this, this new life in Christ. So would you guys stand with us? We're going to sing two more songs. And... Uh, Raise the roof in here, so. Resurrected hearts.
excited for what God is doing. Let's just close in a word of prayer and uh, we'll say happy Easter to everybody. God, we just, we thank you for just allowing us to be here today um, and just with all the, all the stuff that's going on in here and just allowing everybody to have a place to part. God, I just, I thank you that we all have a place in your kingdom, that you, you love the world so much that you sent your only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we just believe that with all of our hearts, by faith. And I just pray that everyone in here would know how much you love them. We just thank you for this amazing Easter 2021. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, everybody. Happy Easter.